Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 I'm back. I'm black and I'm brown. Hey, Mandra. Oh, I missed you so much. <laughs> oh, my God. It feels so weird being back in my bed, talking on my computer. Where have you been, budgetista? <laughs> you know, it's crazy because honestly, I didn't like usually for vacation, you go somewhere and I didn't go anywhere and it was exactly the vacation I needed. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I didn't. I took a social media break too, which was honestly everything because I didn't realize how stressful um, Instagram, especially Facebook, yes, but Instagram is honestly kind of stressful. Oh, I 100% think I agree with you. I take my own like little breaks after work. Yeah. So it was just, it was just nice to just take a full break. Like I went for walks. I was like, I had like a list of like things I wanted to do. I was like, I want to get my nails done. I want to get, I want to wash my hair. (laughs) I want to get my hair retightened. Like I had like these little, I want to get a massage. And so I want to take a walk in the park and because right now in Newark, it's um, it's cherry blossom season. Newark has the mm. the largest amount of cherry blossom trees in the United States in one concentrated area. So, it's be- when I say beautiful, Mandy, it looks like a, a like a a wonderland. And so, um, yeah, it was just it was exactly what I needed. No emails, no you know work conversations. I mean, um, Superman and I went on several dates. It was just really nice. Oh, I'm so glad you got had some time to recharge and and reboot yourself. It seems like the perfect time to right before spring really gets underway. Yeah. So what were you guys up to when I was gonzies? Oh, you know, we uh, we cheated on you a little bit. We had Lynette Calfani cox <laughs> on the show. Last week we had Marcus Garrett from Paychecks and Balances. So thank you to them for coming through um, and and filling in your massive shoes. They did their best. Oh, well, I mean, I already know. I mean, look. No shade to Marcus, but Lynette, I know she's she's a beast. That's my that's my mentor. So I'm like, what, Lynette? Yes, love it. And best wishes to Sandy again, Sandy Smith of Yes I Am Cheap. I'm definitely gonna try and get her on the show again because I've been trying to make this happen forever, but fate just keeps getting in our way. Um, I hope Sandy is recovering well at the hospital, and her health is obviously top priority. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's get back in the groove. What's happening? I read a story today that millennials lie on their resumes. And I just have to say, you guys don't do it. Mm -hmm. I've literally gotten to a point where I have like hired a candidate like 
given them an offer letter they've signed. And then, you know, what happens after that point is a background check happens. Like that's what companies do at this stage. Once you've signed the offer letter, then there's like the asterisk of, uh, you know, pending the background check. And they will check your damn resume and your LinkedIn profile versus records. And, you know, we had to rescind an offer to some candidate who lied on her resume about completing a master's degree, which had nothing to do with a job that she applied for. It was like crazy. Ugh, she put it on LinkedIn and she put it it would have been one thing if she for you know put it on LinkedIn but she put it also on the actual application form for the job. Um yeah. and for that reason she had to she didn't get the job. Cringing. Oh my god, that's a big thing to lie about. It's huge. I, I'm not going to lie. I went to my LinkedIn page cuz I understand there's like this I don't know, there's just this human instinct to just over like hype like to be hyperbolic or like overinflate your credentials. I think we all do it when we're telling stories about ourselves. You know, you, everyone has that mom or that auntie who exaggerates. It's just this human instinct, but you have to check it when it comes to your professional your professional credentials, especially on, you know, platforms like LinkedIn or in 100% on applications because like one, why set people up for disappointment when they find out who you really are? And two, it's just it's gonna it's just so embarrassing, and it's gonna blacklist yeah. you forever from that company if yeah. you let that happen. It doesn't end well. Yikes! No, ma'am. Well, uh, poor Paris. I was like, what? Notre Dame? What happened? It I know. seems like I don't think they know. know, but it's I'm I'm glad that at least to hear that it wasn't as bad. Like the whole structure wasn't damaged. Yes, but I was definitely like the, the pictures of seeing people's faces. It just it was, it was honestly. I mean, so many people were just like outside watching, and they just looked just devastated. You know? Yeah, I was trying to think of like the equivalent. I was trying to think of a house of worship where I was like, or just even just like a structure in general that people would be devastated. Like, oh my goodness! And I really, I don't know that we have anything equivalent to that. I mean. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a terror attack, so you can't really equate it to the World Trade Center. Um, but Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty, you know, they're not I houses like, of worship, but they're yeah. iconic. They, but I feel like if the Statue of Liberty caught fire, because you know what it is? Because it's not like, uh, I feel like the Statue of Liberty, I don't know. I mean, it's not like housing these, like, you know, antiquities of like 1775, you know? I feel like with the Statue of Liberty, we'd be like, whoa, the Statue of Liberty, but they'll put it back up, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's not like Jesus Christ wore the crown that's on her head. Like, they saved this crown that apparently Jesus himself wore, you know, which what? is insane. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know they still had his, his crown. What? That's mean, crazy. Yeah, that's what I mean. That I think what it was, it's like there's, there's just so much history that's there that, you know, but you know, it's so crazy that, you know, like all that gets, that gets so much press, but you know, not too long ago, there was a, a house of worship. I, I can't remember what middle Eastern country, but it was the equivalent of that, you know, in that country. And it didn't get the same amount of obviously like press, but I remember people were like devastated because it was like an extremely important house of worship that ISIS purposely destroyed, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, and people were like standing outside, like just beside themselves. And it's just a shame that, I mean, not to take away from what happened at Notre Dame, but I'm just saying that there, you know, there are or- civilizations and there are people whose history is destroyed on a regular basis and, and the world, you know, turns a blind eye, you know? Well, look at what happened in New Zealand. I mean, there's so many examples of houses of worship being a target of hate crimes and, you know, truly devastating ones. So 
Um, at this point, it just sounds like it was like some kind of fire that was caused during a mm-hmm. renovation process, which is even more ironic and uh, tragic. I know. Um, but I guess there's a bit of gratitude in that. Okay, thank God people, you know, someone wasn't evil enough to attack Notre Dame. Like, um, anyway, just thoughts and prayers with um, the firemen who went into that blazing church and somehow managed to rescue it. Like, that was amazing. Yeah. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they will, they will rebuild. Um, it yeah. will probably was, take was- a long time, but. There was already a billionaire who um who's who's um pledged a hundred million dollars, which is awesome yeah. to the renovation. So yeah. So while I was gone, one of the things I put myself because I was like, okay, so tax season is finally done. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, unless you filed your extension and then you've extended the misery. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> oh not when your debt is due. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tax season is all exactly is already done, um, but it made me really look at like okay, what can I do better? And so I am firing my current financial planner. Sorry, Frank, he doesn't listen to the podcast, so whatever. <laughs> I've never even heard Frank's name before. I know exactly because Frank doesn't do much. Um, so he started off great, and then he's just you know fizzled. And I'm like, Frank, hello, 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 is this thing on? And so that's like my pet peeve. It's like, you know, you get my money and then you disappear. And so honestly, I, you know, I didn't even know what I wanted. So I'll tell you what's been very helpful. I actually created this document where Jarrell and I sat down. Oh, Superman. Well, whatever. Y'all know his name probably. Superman and I sat down and kind of talked about like, well, one, I said, I think it'll be important for our current financial planner or our new financial planner to know where we stand because they always ask the same questions, you know, how much do you make? How about this? How much do you have in savings? What about retirement? So I put all of that down in this doc and then I put like underneath it, like, so current situation. And then I have our goals, like, you know, within the next five years, we'd like to be financially independent. We'd like to make $150,000 a year, um, um, like as a household, um, passively, you know, cause we make that more now, but we work for that. So passively our money yielding that what we have to do, we'd like to, um, maximize cause I set aside money for all my nieces and nephews and, and my, my godson, but I'd like to be more strategic with like, so we have a whole list of things and not that a financial advisor, it, it might be a mix of people that will help, but I wanted to get out like what our goals were long-term and short-term. And it's been so helpful. I put in a Google doc and then um, I, I posted, and this is just, I'm sharing this with y'all BA listeners, because if you're looking for a financial advisor, I would suggest figuring out first, well, what, first creating a, a document of where do you stand and then what your goals are, long-term, short-term, or otherwise. Um, and then what I did is I put in a Google Doc, and with Google Docs, you can share, share create a link to share so I posted on like um these financial Facebook groups I'm a part of and said, hey, looking for a financial planner. I wanted a fee only. So financial planners, um, you want to explain, Manny, like the difference between like fee and like someone who gets paid based upon your portfolio? Yeah, sure. A fee only planner or a fee based planner, they'll just charge you like an hourly rate or a flat rate to take a look at your finances and they might do it every time you have a conversation or they may charge you a flat rate for an overall financial plan. Um, that costs you a certain amount, and then they charge you an hourly rate moving forward. But you always know upfront what their fees are going to be. Other financial advisors may tie their pay to the type of investments that they point you toward, where they're getting um, a, a kickback or a fee um, attached to the investments that they push you toward. Oh, dang. Didn't put my phone on silent. Rookie mistake. Um, 
where they're getting a, a bit of the fee from the investment they point you toward, or they're taking a percentage, this is very common, a percentage of the returns they help you earn by giving you investment advice, which is pretty common. Yes. So I am like, so in the beginning, like, um, typically if you don't, um, if you can't afford the fee, which is fine. Cause I, like I couldn't up until like recently, um, that, or I just didn't want to pay the fee or, so, uh, you know, people, I allowed financial, um, advisors to, to make their money up for, from a percentage of my portfolio, what they helped me to earn. But I've since moved away from that. Um, and I really just want to pay a flat fee. And quite honestly, I'm sick and tired of handing my money over. Um, because I'm like all these fees on fees on fees on fees. Like I'd much rather say, Hey planner, you know, whatever you're charging me $200 safe to sit down with me for this hour. Here's some questions that I have. I'm going to put my, I'm going to open up, say like a Vanguard account or account. I don't know, whatever, you know, one of these accounts where you can manage your own money. Um, let's just say Vanguard. Like I said, I'm going to open up a Vanguard account. I'm thinking of a total stock market fund, which is uh, Vanguard has this account where, they the fund mirrors the S and P five hundred, so that is a um, a very well known U S market. The top five hundred uh, companies in the United States, right? And so, well, top meaning like earning, and, and so you know it, your their fund will basically invest your money into like those companies. And so it's an index fund. So literally like an index is, you know, it's like a list of like, I'm not talking to you, obviously, Mandy, but those who are listening. And an index fund, an index is like, if you're looking at the index at the back of a book, a list of like, like, you know, maybe like, I don't know, words inside that book. So an index fund is a kind of like a, a list of all of these companies. And so I might ask my planner, you know, is this a good idea to put my money in an index fund to mirror the market? Because typically the stock market goes up over time, although there's ups and downs, there's ups and downs on its way up. Um, how, you know, what percentage of my money should I put there? Should I put my money also in a total market bond fund, which is a little bit safer? Um, you don't make as much, but you also don't have the potential to lose as much. Just these kind of questions. And you're, you might be like, what's a bond? What's a stock? Exactly. So I really just want someone who I can ask questions of, take my own money and based upon, um, you know, the responses and the, the, the information that I get, make decisions with like my money and, and not feel like I'm just handing my money over. Cause I feel like that's what I've been doing. And I'm not going to pretend like, you know, some of my financial planners have not made me money. I mean, it's not that Frank hasn't made me any money, but I honestly don't know what's going on. You know what I mean, Mandy? I'm like, so what are we doing? He doesn't answer when I text or I'm like, aren't we supposed to have calls? Isn't that what I paid this flat fee for? And if I look, like I looked at my portfolio for 2018 and I made, I mean, I made a decent return. I think maybe like 10 or 12%, something like that. So it's not like I'm losing money, but I don't well, like. So did I, but I just have a damn target date fund and no financial ex advisor. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I feel like, honestly, I feel like great, you know, but can I just put exactly, I was thinking that like, why, why can't I just put my money in the target date fund? Why do I have to pay you, Frank? And then I'll, I'll, I'll save money in fees, you know, and because you, I'm. And you can. I think that what you're looking for is a financial planner who can bring value in other ways beyond like return. Because I think like if you look at actively managed funds, like like basically invest investment firms that manage your money for you versus like just putting your money in an index fund, a lot of times the index fund wins out. So it, you have to yep. find people who add value beyond the returns and don't believe them if they say they can, oh, I can do double what the S&P did last year. Like, no, that's bullshit. Um, and, you know, ask people what they can give you beyond 
just the regular return that anyone would expect because you have to keep those realistic expectations and people who won't like oversell you. And that's what I'm wanting. Like, I'm wanting like that. Like, you know, like, yes. Like, because beyond that, because that could literally be one conversation. Well, Tiffany, this is my favorite index fund because here's why the fees are low and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And, but I want more. Like, I want, like, I, I want to offer um, 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 value to my employees. I, I want to be able to give them a retirement account. I can't do that on my own. There are financial planners and advisors that can help me with that, you know? Um, yeah. So I'm just excited about, interviewing. So I literally, I think I posted and like I said, I created the doc and I sent everybody the same message. It was like 15, maybe 15 people that reached out to me. And I was like, Hey, thank you so much for reaching out. You know, I've created a document to help give you a clear understanding of where my husband and I are and where we'd like to be, you know, please review. And in the doc, it was clear, like, you know, how I wanted to work with the person. Like I would like to pay hourly. I don't want, I want to manage my own money. So that way people can eliminate themselves. And, and of the 15, I would say there's probably five people that, that are viable. Some people eliminated themselves because they're like, oh, I don't do fee only or um, I only you can only pay me yearly. And I'm like, nah, the yearly is I want to pay you hourly because if you suck, I've only paid for one hour, you know. Um, so I'm excited, though, because I feel like this is like the next frontier. I've got a dope accountant and CFO. Um, and so I just want to kind of like a personal CFO of my life. So I'm excited and I, I'll keep you guys abreast of like, you know, how the interviews go and, um, who I end up choosing. And even if I don't choose someone and they're dope, you know, I play, I can obviously share some of the amazing people that I was able to connect with because that's another desire of mine is to kind of like create a list of dope financial experts because people ask me all the time, like, well, who do you suggest for this? And I can be like, well, I interviewed her. She was great. Wasn't a fit for me because I needed more business assistance, but she might be a fit for you, you know? Yes. I'll be waiting those, those uh, recommendations like everybody else. <laughs> do the work for <laughs> us. Like you've seen those commercials for home advisor where it's like, do you know a good contractor? Cool. Could you vet them for me yeah. and get different rate schedules? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what I was like, you know, I'm excited though, because I'm like, yay, I just, you know, you know, you're on the cusp of like, uh, this could either be really good. I feel like it's like the MC Hammer thing. It's like, ooh, there was like this short period in his career where like money was booming and he mismanaged. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want to do the MC Hammer syndrome. I want that, you know, like I, you know, I make right moves now. So 10 years from now, I can be like, woohoo, even if the budget needs is not popping, you know, I'm still good financially. No, that is the goal to build up an invest. My goal to build up an investment fund that is just generating income on income on income without you doing anything. That's something Mike Marcus and I were talking about last week too. He has his own goals for how much he wants to have like invested. So he's making passive income. So next level. Exciting. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. 
Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Speaking of okay. questions, though, should we take some? Yes. I actually have a really good question where I'm like, yikes, it just came in my inbox. And um, I'm going to try to read it in a non-judgy voice. Um, okay. and safe, I, space. I also, safe space, yeah, safe space listeners. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. And then, too, um, I'm also going to, um, uh, you know, I'm not going to obviously share this person's name. Um, okay, so good evening. I co-signed a student loan via Stally May for a, in quotes, friend. My, my question is, is there a way that I can be released from the loan? I'm asking because my son starts college in the fall and I might need to get a loan for him. And I'm also planning on purchasing a home at the end of the year. Signed, what should I do? Like unless you are a parent co-signing, uh, you know, your daughter or son's um, student loan, the answer, uh, I feel like nine and a half times out of 10 is going to be no. Uh-huh. Because you were just putting, you're making yourself so vulnerable and so liable if that, you know, the person on the other end of that loan, whether they're friend or family, no matter what their good intentions are, if they default in their loan, then that is your problem. 100%. Um, she can't go back. She can't undo yeah. it. Yeah. So what steps can she take now to, you know, reach her financial goals while also being tied to this the student loan? Um, does she mention if it's federal or I'm assuming it, well, it might be, it could be federal, but it probably more likely it's a private. I was going to say it's probably more likely private because typically with federal, unless it's like higher education, you usually don't need a co-signer for, for your, for your, um, what's called degree, unless it's like master's or something. So let's say it's a private student loan. She's co-signed. There's a a couple of ways. So you could ask your friend to refinance. I was going to say, yeah, this loan, which means she'd have to apply for a new loan. Um, and use that loan to pay off her existing loan. And in the process, she'd be the only applicant for that loan. So that would take you off of it. Um, some lenders, like if she contacted the bank, she could ask what their process is for removing a cosigner. It may be that she has to prove financial worthiness, income, assets, um, credit score, and basically another form of refinancing the debt to get you off of it. Um, but if she needed you to co-sign in the first place, or she or he, it may be that they're not financially, I don't know, stable enough to to qualify for a different loan. But that's that's the only avenue I can think of. Well, and well, I'm gonna make the assumption that you did this a while ago, only because I'm I'm assuming that if your son's schooling was coming up fairly soon, you likely wouldn't have co-signed so quickly to his his college opportunity coming up. You can also consider consolidating your loan. With other loans that you may have, that's kind of a way. So typically, to do refinancing or even consolidating with another loan is um because we're we're not consolidating is not a good idea um, if you or refinancing um, if you have a federal loan because then you lose like kind of federal loan protections. But we're assuming this is private because it needed a cosigner. But the borrower is gonna need decent credit history, stable employment. And really enough income to prove enough income, like Mandy said, to cover the monthly payments. Because the the purpose of having a co-signer from someone who's lending is, I don't know that you can afford it, but between you and your friend, you can afford it. 
And so if your friend is gone, I don't know if you can afford it. So basically your friend would have to kind of prove, hey, I can afford it now and I don't necessarily need this co-signer. So refinancing or consolidating with another loan, those are kind of your only two options. But if you're listening and someone is kind of asking you to co-sign, honestly, it's just not because just like, uh, you know, what should I do as she, she uh, what should I do is also wanting to purchase a home. And so this is debt for this person. And so when you're purchasing a home, they're going to see like one, how much are you making? But then two, how much do you owe? And your debt to income ratio, DTI number that, you know, that's important to lenders because they're like, well, if you already owe $50,000 here, you want us to lend you 300,000. We only feel like feel comfortable lending you two fifty because you already owe somebody else fifty thousand dollars. So it's just keeping all of that in mind before co-signing. It's just it's rarely, rarely ever a good idea. One thousand percent. And if she's she said she's looking to take out a or co-sign a loan for her her kid, right? A student yeah. loan. You know, check with your student and again like this another another good opportunity to remind folks like if they need a co-signer, I mean double check if they've maxed out their federal student aid. And even, you know, if you're, I don't know, I feel like at this point in time, with the way the cost of college is, if you're having to to take out a private loan to fund your education on top of the federal loans, is all that debt worth the degree? And like taking a look at the cost of that college and is there, are there any scholarships he could or he or she could apply for, um, any grants, any aid, is there, are there any other avenues um, of financing that tuition for this year, you know, without you um, needing to co-sign? If she's not, yeah. she's looking to do it this fall. So I'm assuming they've, they're, you know, like a like a high school senior and they're going to school for the first time. There's mm-hmm. still time to look for a more affordable school. You know, think about what you're setting your kid up for post graduation in four more years. How much debt they will have. Yeah. So, what should I do? I hope you have your answer. Do you want to take another question? Yeah, we've got another question. Let me see. So this actually came from one of my family members. Um, I went and visited some family over the weekend. And of course, after I destroyed them, and I mean destroyed them in Yahtzee several times, uh, (laughs) one of my family members asked me, you know, because they're about to get a windfall um, from their employer. And they wanted to know, because they they just took out a mortgage a couple of years ago, and they wanted to know, should I take this windfall and apply it to my mortgage debt? Because, you know, I've always been debt-free. The mortgage is the only debt I have right now. Cars paid off. You know, this is someone in their in their, uh, in their their late 20s. Cars paid off. No car note, no student debt, just a mortgage. Should I take the windfall and pay it off? And it's a significant sum. Mm. Um, so no, it's not from our reader inbox, but that was the question. Good uh, question. The way that well, I... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Since I already gave the answer, it's too late, really. But I figured <laughs> for that person, but for you guys, if you're wondering, um, now that I have a mortgage, I I feel like you know the first thing I asked him was what was what's your interest rate on your mortgage? And it's yes, like, I was going to say that. Yeah, it's something like four point zero percent because he That's got good. it. Yeah, over uh, a couple of years ago when rates were really low, um, you know. And I said, take a look at your four hundred one k. Take you know, log into your. He never logged into his retirement plan at work. Log in and tell me what your annualized rate of return was for twenty for the last year, like year to date, how much have you earned on your investment? It was something like 13%, 12 or 13%. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Which, it, you know, this was a really, it was kind of an up and down year. It was like a big crash last year in the beginning of the year, but then the market rebounded. But I was like, take a look at the percent you're earning on your little 401k investment, which was, I think he had some kind of target date fund. 
and then take a look at what you're what you're paying on your mortgage rate. And for that reason, I think one of the first things you should consider is putting more toward your retirement fund um, mm-hmm. with a you know with a mid year kind of um, windfall like that. It's not like you can earmark it to max out your four hundred one k. But I said what you could do is open up a Roth individual retirement account, so Roth IRA, max that out, which I think is sixty five hundred for the year, something like that. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, and this is also someone who doesn't have a huge emergency fund. And I said, get comfortable with your emergency fund. So max out what you think you need for mm-hmm. six months or whatnot. And then think about opening a brokerage account with yep. the leftovers. Um, and you can invest in the same types of funds that your 401k is invested in. You can just do that on your own with a you know a, tax, uh, a taxed brokerage account um, through E-Trade or Vanguard or whatever. There's a million options. Um, but, you know, rushing to pay off the mortgage, even though it's debt. And this is something that I thought about too, even though it's debt, you have to think about, okay, well, what's the value of the home? What's your equity? Yes. It's not like it's debt. That's like a credit card debt that has no value for you. Yeah. I mean, that was honestly, that I, you couldn't have given a more perfect answer. I was thinking that because oh God, I get thanks. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I get it. Cause you know, you and I are both like debt averse. So, you know, I get it when you're like, I don't want this debt, but if the debt's costing you, like I, I had to make that decision with my student loans when I was aggressively paying them off. And then I had to stop because at, at some point I really was looking at, I said, Tiffany, your student loan interest rate, this is before, you know, the foolishness that y'all are paying now, my student loan interest rate was like 3%. I was like, Tiffany, you are losing 3%, you know, to student loans, right? But at looking at your retirement account, you're gaining 10, 12%. So you can pay off the student loans so you can stop losing three, but then you miss out on the opportunity to gain 10. And what I ended up doing anyway is I, I, I just started paying the student loans the minimum and I put the money toward my business instead um, because I realized that, that my, my um, return on investment for the budgetista was even better than my retirement account. And I grew my six-figure a year business, my low six-figure year business to a multiple seven-figure year business. So and then last year, I had more than enough to say, hey, I have a lump sum. My student loan debt was like $53,000. I have a lump sum to pay the student loan debt. But that was like seven years in the making, you know? So it wasn't, it just, it made more sense to use that money to make money than to use that money to pay off debt because debt-free is not wealth. Wealth can make you debt-free though. A hundred thousand percent. I know it's a little bit of a short episode. You know, we're going to dip our baby toe in. Do we have Brown Break, Brown Boost? Always. I've missed this little segment. It wasn't the same without you, Brown Boosting and Brown Breaking. (laughs) Well, I was going to say ladies first. Meanwhile, I'm a lady. But go ahead. (laughs) Youth before beauty. Youth before age. I don't know. Just go ahead. You can Brown Break and Brown Boost first. (laughs) 100%. This is what I've been complaining about for a while now. If you're out there hiring right now, I just want to you know, raise a glass of wine to you and say clink because it is so hard finding good job candidates and people continue because right now the labor, the job market is so good. I mean, everyone's got jobs. So if you're looking for help, like you're looking for people, whether it's freelance or full-time, it's a struggle because you're in the position of needing to poach people. Um, and often when you're poaching people, it's sort of like when they say it's a seller's market or a buyer's market, 
when it comes to housing. Right now, I feel like it's a buyer's market. So it's an employee's market where you mm. have people like me who are looking to find really talented people, but you already have jobs. So there's there's it's driving up the cost of labor. So people you're needing to pay people a lot more than usual because you need to like lure them away from jobs that they may be happy at, you know, they may be like yeah. fine with. Um, and you know, a lot of people have gotten jobs in the last couple of years, so it's not like they've been there very long. So it's just a struggle. And one of the things that, you know, it, it's just, it's just part of, you know, what it is hiring. And in spite of it, I've still managed to put together a really strong team, but you know, as any manager, like recruitment never ends. I feel like I'm always trying to fill one role for whatever reason. Um, but one thing, like a piece of advice I would give from my experience hiring the past few years is like if you are in a job, if you're in the job interview process and you're toward the end, so either you're about to get an offer or you've gotten an offer or you're in the final interview round, at that point, if you decide to withdraw from the, uh, the you know, you decide to turn down the offer or withdraw yourself from the interview process, send a note to the hiring manager personally. And I say this because I've had candidates who I've invested a lot of time myself in and pushed for, and they've turned around and withdrawn or turned down an offer, but just sent an email to the random recruiter who they emailed like maybe in the beginning of the process, maybe even not if I was the first person to reach out to them. And as much as I know I'm not supposed to be offended, it really like kind of pisses me off and makes me feel disrespected that they wouldn't take the time to send a personal note you know, thanking me for the time or whatever. And also, I'm still hiring, right? So if in the future, this person, you know, wanted to be employed, or wanted to to follow back up about another position, like, don't you want to leave the mm -hmm. interview process in the best possible, uh, with the best possible, you know, tone and like, leaving the right taste on someone's mouth afterward, you know, so that's, that's my advice. I do the same thing in return. I make sure, you know, I was on vacation on Friday and I called two candidates to turn to tell them personally that we were that we were not moving forward with their um, applications or, you know, for the jobs because I wanted to give them the treatment that I uh, that I, uh, you know, prize and respect from candidates in return. So that's just my that's my break and my advice if you are. Like, it's smart, you know, if you have a job right now, and if people are reaching out to you, like, I get emails personally from recruiters all the time. So and so is hiring this, you know, are you interested? If you take those mm. calls, if you entertain those offers, just because you're trying to see what else is out there and see how much money someone might be willing to pay you, but you have no intention of taking the job, think about what might happen if you get, let it go very far, and then bow out of that, you know, at the very end, when someone's invested time in you think about that, your reputation and and uh, the your reputation professionally. And also, I'm not saying it's not smart to do that. I'm not an idiot. Like the only way I was able to catch up and actually earn what, uh, you know, uh, uh, a market salary because I was hired at the bottom of the recession when, when the rates were so low for people doing what I was doing, the only way I could catch up with my peers was to job hop. I understand it. It's smart. But you have to do it in a respectful way yes. so you're not burning those bridges. Because they're all coming back over. Too. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes, and especially in a small world like personal finance journalism, get out what? of here. What? Who I don't know. I know? My sister said that <laughs> she was in a uh, she was a she was a scientist in pharmaceuticals, and she was like, I can't. She literally went from Jersey to Chicago to here, and she's like, I'm seeing the same people like around the country, and she was like, Whoa! If I pissed these people off, this would have been like really bad, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm.
And so, um, so mine is really just a quick little boost. Um, my boost is just for the first time I tried rent the runway. Um, for the first time, hello, 2014. I know. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not an early adapter. Let's be real. <laughs> and so, and you know, cause like, I mean, I'm, you know, fairly frugal and you know, I'm just doing more and more speaking engagements and I'm like, Ugh. I like, I'm either having to like run to get like a new dress, which I don't spend a whole lot of money on dresses. I would say I average probably like 40, 50 bucks, but still you think about like, I might have three engagements in a week and I'm like, well, unless I'm re-wearing the same thing over and over. And after a while, you know, I have maybe like 10, 15 staple dresses, which sounds like a lot until you say you've done 15 things, whether it's TV or whatever in a, in a month. And then you're like, well, what do I wear next month? So I decided to try it. I have to say that my first crop was already awesome. I picked four dresses. Um, I'm doing like the unlimited and, um, three of them were a hit. I was like, wow, three of them fit well. One was, um, I didn't realize it was a split. I needed to read the directions, like, like the description a little more. I was like, Ooh, this is too sexy for the state for the stage, but it was still cute. So I have to say, I'm really pleased. And yeah, I, I like it. I, I love the packaging that it comes in. It's super easy to use. And yeah, I really want to buy less clothes. I just want to be able to wear it, be cute, and then send it back. So rent the one way. I know I'm late, but whatever. <laughs> I'm just giving a boost because, you know, I had not tried it yet. I don't know. It's been a minute since I've used it. I actually forgot about it. I'm like thinking, dang, it's been a, I used to use it all the time. I should get back mm-hmm. on it. You're right. It's annoying to have to buy new stuff. Yeah. Just teasing you. It's fine. <laughs> I know. It's okay. But I'm like, you know, I know I'm a little late. I was like, what? Even like the place at my office, there's like a young receptionist. She can't be more than like 18, 19. And I was like, oh my God, I'm getting my first rent the runway. She looked at me like, girl, are you like, where have you been living in the cage? <laughs> that was like, what? The the front desk girl uses front the runway? She's like, girl, all the time. And I was like, oh, well, whatever. So yeah, that's my, that's my, that's my boost. So I know it's time to say goodbye to all our family. B-R-O-W-N ambition. I'm so glad to have you back, Tiff. (laughs) It's great great to be back, honestly. Good. Hope you feel lovely and rested. Um, Your your little staycation is goals for me. I'm hoping to do something this summer, finally. Take a little break. Good, good. Just let me know. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. That's the show. I forgot to mention it, but if you have questions, hit us up, brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, brownambitionpodcast.com. All right, y'all. See you on the interwebs. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.